Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we have an update on all of the in-person and online conferences that are currently on the schedule for 2022. Larry Stamm will have a Messianic Minute, and Dr. Carl Ball will present a Creation Minute. But first, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, looks at the fascinating history of the revival that happened many years ago on the remote island of Hebrides. Many days are cold and dreary in the Hebrides Islands off the coast of northwest Scotland. Visitors often find that it is sometimes hard to get warm and dry in the Hebrides. But the Holy Spirit is not bound by temperature or climate. In the period 1949 to 1952, in the post-war years when most people were celebrating the end of World War II, Large numbers of people in Europe and America were in an upbeat mood. Air raid drills and the wine of sirens were a thing of the past. People were not thinking about God, church, and the things of the Lord. This was especially true at the beginning of the Hebrides Revival. Duncan Campbell, the leading figure in the revival and minister of the United Free Church of Scotland, explains in the following way. In speaking about the revival in the Hebrides, I would like to make it perfectly clear what I understand to be real revival. When I speak of revival, I'm not thinking of high-pressure evangelism. I'm not thinking of crusades or of special efforts convened and organized by people. That is not in my mind at all. Revival is far beyond evangelism at its highest level. It is a moving of God whereby the whole community suddenly becomes God-conscious before anyone says a word about God." Close quotes. What role did human effort and preparation play in the revival? The Hebrides revival was birthed in prayer. That was man's part. Initially, it was the prayer of two elderly sisters, both over 80, Christine and Peggy Smith. Though they were advanced in years, and one was blind, the other bent over with arthritis, God heard the prayer of these two women and responded in a way that they could never have imagined possible. They were both terribly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. Not a single young person attended church or even had a distinctly Christian testimony. We may think this is unique to 2022, youth who have no room in their hearts or lives for the church, but it was happening in the Hebrides in the 1940s. So the Smith sisters made this a matter of prayer, much prayer, because their hearts were burdened for their youth. One scripture verse in particular gripped their hearts, Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. The sisters were so burdened that they decided to spend much time in prayer twice a week, usually starting at 10 p.m. and continuing until 3 or 4 a.m. the next morning. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. She saw the church of her father's crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and an unfamiliar minister standing in the pulpit. She was so impressed by the reality and vivid nature of the vision that she called for the parish minister to come to their cottage. The sisters urged the minister to get the elders and deacons together to pray regularly for a visitation from God. Seven of them met together for all-night prayer meetings in a barn. The meetings continued for several weeks until one night, one of the deacons stood up and read from Psalm 24, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
or who shall ascend in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And then the young man closed his Bible, and looking down at the minister and the other men present said, It seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, and to be waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted up two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. He fell to his knees and then fell to the floor in a trance. He collapsed on the floor of the barn where they were meeting. At that, the parish ministers, the deacons and elders and those present were convinced that if there ever is to be a revival, there must be holiness. Is my hands clean? Is my heart pure? It was at that moment that there came an evident presence of God, hard to describe, but clearly as real as the wall is real. There was an awareness of God, a kind of supernatural visitation. Duncan Campbell later writes, I wasn't on the island when that happened, but again, one of the Smith sisters sent for the minister and said to him, I think you ought to invite someone to the parish. I cannot give a name, but God must have someone in his mind, for we saw an unfamiliar face in the pulpit, and that man must be somewhere. They got the name Duncan Campbell through some contacts, and Campbell says, Revival did not start with me. When I arrived in the Hebrides, the revival had already started. Campbell arrived on the island late in the day, tired and hungry from his long trip by rail and ferry. When Campbell arrived and got off the ferry, the local minister was there and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you are very tired. You've been traveling all day. But if I wonder if you would be prepared to address a meeting in the parish church at 9 o'clock on your way home. It will be a short meeting, and then we will make for the manse, and you will get your supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow evening. Campbell later writes, I never got that supper, and it was many hours and after many souls were saved before Campbell was able to go to bed. Campbell and the minister arrived at the church around 8.45 p.m. There had been no door-to-door invitations and brochures handed out, no TV promos, nor any great effort to let the community know, but Campbell and the minister were surprised to see that some 300 people had already arrived at the church. Campbell found it to be a long day and gave a brief word from Matthew 25, 1 through 13. There was a good spirit. The congregation was alert, but nothing of any surprising import occurred. Campbell closed the service just before 11 p.m. As he was walking down the aisle, the same young deacon who read the psalm in the barn suddenly stood and looked up. He said, echoing the words of Isaiah 44, 3, God, you can't fail us. God, you promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. He shouted out, you can't fail us. Shortly, the deacon fell to his knees in the aisle, praying and seeking God. Suddenly, he fell to the floor of the church in a trance. It is now around 11 p.m., the day Mr. Campbell arrived. The door of the church opened, and the local blacksmiths came into the church. Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it. He's done it, Campbell explains. When I went to the door of the church, about 600 people were there. 600 people. Where did they come from? What had happened? 
Somehow the Spirit of God drew all of these people at the same time to the same location, the church we were in. This was entirely God's doing. No one invited them. There were no announcements. All of them at the same time became aware of an intense need of God, and that at 11 o'clock at night. And while God was drawing this crowd, he was also drawing about 100 young people who were at the dance hall, dancing and drinking. Eternity was their last thought. The music was loud, and their temples were throbbing with drink and excitement. Reports given later at one of the church meetings said, suddenly something happened. No one knew exactly what it was, but the music and the dancing stopped within but a few minutes. Soon, writes Campbell, they fled from the hall as people fleeing from the plague and headed for the church. They were now standing outside. Oh, yes, they saw lights in the church. That was a house of God, and they were going to it, and they went. The church, which normally would seat about 800 people, is now filled to capacity, and it's almost 1 a.m. People are moaning on the floor, crying out to God for mercy. A young woman, a schoolteacher who had come from the dance hall, is praying at the pulpit. Campbell can hear her pray, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? It is now about 4 a.m. People start to leave. Campbell and the minister decide to head for the manse. They are exhausted, and yet a warm glow is on their faces. The stone church on the Isle of Lewis has experienced a powerful visitation of God, one of many more to come. As they were leaving the church, a young man rushed up and said, Mr. Campbell, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. The police station answered Campbell, what's wrong? Oh, there's nothing wrong, but there are about 400 people gathered around the police station. Campbell found out that the sergeant was a God-fearing man. He was at the opening meeting earlier that evening. The police station was next to the cottage where Christine and Peggy Smith lived, the sisters who had been praying for revival. Campbell describes what then happened at the police station, and I quote him. When I got to the police station, I saw something that will live with me as long as I live. I didn't preach. There was no need of preaching. We didn't even sing. The people were weeping and moaning and crying to God for mercy, all oh, the confessions that were made. There was one old man crying out, Oh God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. That was the Holy Ghost conviction. Now, mind you, says Campbell, that was on the very first night of a mighty demonstration that shook the island. Duncan Campbell was a humble man. In his account, he repeatedly acknowledges that the revival was not the doing of man, and certainly not his doing, but solely of God. His humility is also seen in the fact that he had great respect for the intercessory praying of the two elderly sisters, Christine and Peggy Smith. Because of their great age and many infirmities, they were not able to attend the meetings, but Campbell coveted their intercessory prayers for the revival. There is one incident in particular that shows him following their judgment, even though it conflicted with his. Campbell tells how he met seven communists. Yes, they were even on the Isle of Lewis. They were generally educated, but bitterly opposed to religion and sometimes very obnoxious. But one night, Peggy Smith had a vision in which she saw seven men from a particular community who were born again, and they had become faithful Christians and served in the church of her father. Peggy sent someone to bring Campbell to her cottage. She met with Campbell and said she believed that God had revealed to her that he was going to do a great work in that village, 
Yes, she knew that there were communists there, godless men, but God's grace would overcome that. Campbell said, Peggy, I have no leadings to go to that village. You know that there is no church there, and the schoolmaster is one of those men who would never think of giving me the schoolhouse for the meetings. I have no leadings to go there. Peggy looked at him and said, Mr. Campbell, if you were living as close to God as you ought to be, he would reveal his secrets to you also. Campbell writes, and I took her words to be from the Lord. They had a word of prayer together, and Peggy Smith prayed, Lord, do you remember what you told me this morning when we had that conversation together? I'm just after telling Mr. Campbell about it, but he's not prepared to take it. You give him wisdom, because the man badly needs it. Campbell's comment, and of course she was speaking truth. Of course I needed it. I needed to be taught. But I was at the feet of a woman who knew God in an intimate way and I was prepared to listen. So I said, Peggy, when will I go to that village? Peggy, tomorrow. Me, what time? Peggy, seven o'clock. Me, where am I to hold a meeting? Peggy, you go to the village and leave the gathering of the people to God, and he will do it. Campbell went to the village and found a crowd gathered around a seven-room bungalow. There were five ministers waiting for Campbell. The house was so crowded they could not get in, so Campbell went outside, stood on a high spot, and began to preach. After about ten minutes, one of the ministers suggested that he preach from a text that he had used earlier in the day around 5 a.m., John 10:27. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The minister said to Campbell, Could you go to the end of the house over there? There are some men there, and we are afraid that they will lose their minds. They're in such a delirious state. They went to the United States and came back communists. I want to read Campbell's words. He said, I went and I saw seven men, the seven men Peggy saw, and they were crying to God for mercy. The seven of them were saved in a matter of days. And if you go to that parish today, you would see a church with a stone wall built around it. It is heated by electricity and all done by the seven men who became pillars of the church of Peggy's father. Oh, my dear people, that is God at work, close quotes. Duncan Campbell's account tells a preparation that was made to go to the nearby town of Arnall. Hardly any youth attended the church and spent Sundays either drinking or poaching wild game. Some of the men decided that they should have a prayer meeting, but where should they meet? It was winter and the church was cold and unheated. There was a farmer in the area who was willing to place his farmhouse at their disposal. So Campbell approached the farmer. The farmer was not a Christian, but like so many in that part of Scotland, he was God-fearing. In his account, Campbell explains that there are thousands of people in Upper Scotland who are God-fearing. They have family worship morning and evening. They would never dream of going out to work in the morning without reading a chapter of the Bible and getting down on their knees to ask God to have mercy upon them and their family. People like that may have been under the influence of alcohol the night before and may not have been in church for a long, long time, but they would not dream of going out to work without reading a chapter in the Bible. That is why I believe, writes Campbell, that most people in the Hebrides Islands, including those who are unsaved, have a far greater knowledge of the Word of God than most Christians anywhere else. I think I can say that it is because of this custom family worship. This man had that, 
He wasn't a Christian, but he was a God-fearing man. The prayer meeting connected with God as the prayers of God's people rose like incense before the throne of grace. Around 2 a.m., the farmhouse shook. A jug on the shelf fell on the floor and broke into many pieces. A minister next to Campbell said it was an earth tremor. Campbell had his own ideas about the shaking. His mind went back to Acts 4 when they prayed the place was shaken. Others who were there that night said that the dishes in the cupboard rattled. The Spirit of God swept through Arnall. There was not a single household in Arnall that was not affected by the revival. In the early morning hours, lights went on as people were mysteriously raised from sleep and sought the Lord in prayer. It was a strange and mysterious phenomenon, but it had one thing in common. People throughout the village were praying, confessing their sins, and seeking to mend relationships with one another. There are many more things that could be said about the Hebrides revival, but in closing, I want to share a few comments made by Dr. R.T. Kendall to be found on the R.T. Kendall Ministries website. First, while some Christians were renewed and revived, the focus of the Lord's work was on salvation. Secondly, people were concerned about basically one thing, their eternal destiny. Were they going to heaven or were they going to hell? Thirdly, as we have seen, people did not want to leave the church building or the area where the services were held. Fourthly, many people walked many miles to attend the meetings, some as many as 12 miles each way, yet no one felt blisters on their feet or felt tired. Fifthly, people were not just saved in church buildings, but when walking or out in the fields. There was a great sense of the fear of God everywhere. It was inescapable. Sixthly, people functioned quite well with little or no sleep. It was common for the meetings to continue long into the night and early morning. Some would go home from the meeting at 5 a.m. and get up at 7 a.m. to work all day on the farm or in the mill. Seventhly, the opposition to the revival did not come from the world, but from some in the Christian community. There were no meetings held in the main city on the Isle of Lewis, Stornoway. Some of the ministers did not like what they thought were excesses at the meetings. Thank you, Dr. Spargimino. Fascinating information. Get your own copy of today's program on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. In our resource center today, we are highlighting two items by Dr. Spargimino, No Uncertain Future, a study guide commentary to the book of Revelation, and By Faith, Hebrews verse-by-verse DVD. Both the book and three DVD set can be yours when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Watchman on the Wall is pleased to have Dr. Carl Baugh back on the program, even if it is only for a minute. Dr. Carl Baugh is the founder and director of Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, and is internationally known as a minister and special creation speaker. Today, he brings a nugget of truth for us in a feature called Creation Minute. Let's talk for a minute. At the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, we have a footprint, 
a human footprint. The great toe, big toe, second, third, fourth, little toe, metatarsal arch, medial section of the longitudinal arch, lateral section of the longitudinal arch. But this footprint is in permo-triassic rock that, according to evolution, is supposed to be 225 million years old. Now, that's impossible if that rock is 225 million years old. Simple fact is, that is part of a shelf of rock, sedimentary rock, that was laid down in the worldwide flood of Noah's day. If we look at the real facts, we're not introduced to evolutionary theory. We're introduced to the truth as found in the Bible. Man and dinosaur lived contemporaneously. Make sure you and your family have the wonderful book, Panorama of Creation by Dr. Carl Baugh. This book has been completely revised and it has an additional Jurassic chapter. In Panorama of Creation, Dr. Carl Baugh scientifically proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that special creation is the only scientific explanation for man's existence on this planet. Get your copy of Panorama of Creation by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order Panorama of Creation online. Simply visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. If you are a new or recent listener to Watchmen on the Wall, make sure you request your free new listener pack. Full of history about the ministry, the latest issue of the Prophetic Observer newsletter, and a free gift. The new listener pack. It's free, and it's our way of saying welcome to Watchmen on the Wall. Call 1-800-652-1144 and get your free new listener pack. That's 1-800-652-1144. Another free resource we have available for you is our Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter. Twice a week, you receive encouragement from Dr. Larry Spargimino, information on the latest resources, and timely articles to equip you during your week. Sign up today for the Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter. Visit swrc.com or simply call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. We have a full schedule of in-person and online conferences for this year. Before I share the details, let's join Larry Stamm, who is here with a Messianic Minute. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here with the Messianic Minute. Biblical Connections Through a Jewish Lens. Did you know Hanukkah is in the New Testament record? In John chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, we find Jesus at the temple during Hanukkah. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The Feast of Dedication is Hanukkah. The Hebrew word Hanukkah literally means dedication. Jesus totally dedicated his life in fulfilling the Father's mission. May we as God's people wholly dedicate ourselves to the purposes of God. For more connections, visit our website at larrystam.org or see our Larry Stam Ministries Facebook page. In addition to sharing Messianic Minute with us, Larry Stamm is an author, teacher, and conference speaker. Larry Stamm's book and television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, is available for you and your church. 
excellent resources for you and your Sunday school. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order both the book and the complete 16-episode television series today. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Our next Prophecy Conference is online. The Winter Virtual Prophecy Conference. It's entirely online and on demand. 13 different speakers and over 20 different teaching sessions. Register today and watch as often as you want right now until February 12th. The lineup of speakers include Kamal Salim, Michael Hoggard, Dr. Rob Linstead, Eric Barger, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, James Collins, Micah Van Huss, Dr. Larry Spargimino, Pastor Billy Crone, Dave Brees, Les Feldick, and David Bay. Sign up today for the Winter Virtual Prophecy Conference by visiting the events page on our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. We have both in-person and online conferences with some of the top prophecy teachers. Billy Crone, Derek Gilbert, Rob Linstead, Bill Federer, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, Kamal Salim, Micah Van Huss, as well as Michael Hoggard, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, James Collins, Kenneth Hill, and our very own Dr. Larry Spargimino. Some of the topics to be presented this year at the conferences include ancient cities and the gods who built them, confounding the critics, proving Israel's Egyptian sojourn, why the church will endure victorious to the rapture, mother of all secrets. Some other topics include paving the way for the Antichrist, socialism, the real history, invisible war on the saints, Dawn of All Babbling, Locating the Tower of Babel, UFOs, Chariots of the Beast, Prayers of the Ancients, Jewish Roots of Christianity, The New America, A Flood of Evil, The Twelve Ancient Messages of Hope for Today's Dark World, What's Next in Bible Prophecy, and Shiloh's Tabernacle. Those are just some of the topics that will be covered at our in-person and online prophecy conferences this year. Speaking of in-person conferences, registration is now available online for the following conferences. March 25th and 26th will be the Tri-Cities Tennessee Prophecy Conference. April 22nd and 23rd will be the Fort Wayne, Indiana Prophecy Conference. May 6th and 7th, will be the Wichita, Kansas Prophecy Conference. August 19th and 20th will be the Missouri Prophecy Conference in Festus, Missouri, which is located south of St. Louis. September 16th and 17th will be the Oklahoma City Prophecy Conference. October 27th through the 29th will be the Columbus, Ohio Prophecy Conference. And November 19th through the 20th will be the second annual Las Vegas Prophecy Conference. We'll also have online prophecy conferences scheduled for May and August. For the complete list of speakers, schedules, and to register, visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com and click on events. These conferences are designed to bring the teaching to you, 
with timely topics that help you make sense of the world and bring clarity to the chaos. All of us here at Watchmen on the Wall hope to see you at one of our upcoming conferences. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.